With me right now on the phone is a incredible, an incredible speaker. She's also a Google Hangout guru. Her credits are amazing. She's an international speaker, a trainer, a Google Hangouts producer and moderator. She's a social media and search guru. Like I said, you're the the person that really turned me on to the uh, Google Hangouts. But that's another conversation. Elaine and I met a long time ago. Um, and her story was so unique. I just thought, you know what, people have to hear this. When you think you're down and out, when you think you've got troubles, when you think you cannot go on, you've got to listen to Elaine's story. Because not only did she pick herself up, but like I said, what happened to her inspired her to uh, to want to give back and to to train others. So Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. So uh, tell us, tell folks your story, because they really are not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of what you said the first time we mm-hmm. talked about it. Well, um, I'm going to take everybody back to 1976. I was 20 years old. Uh, it was about probably 1, maybe 2 in the morning. And we got a phone call. Uh, to pick up a friend who had been picked up for drinking and driving. Now, I was six and a half months pregnant, and uh, because of that, of course, on the way from the police station, I had to stop and pee. Mm -hmm. I stopped at a restaurant uh, partway between uh, the police station and the person in my car's home, and uh, ran into Fuller's. I had on this huge wolf fur coat with this big, big hood, So I couldn't get into the stall with the coat and the pregnant and the whole nine yards. And as I took the coat off, I caught sight of myself in the mirror and realized that I had my shirt on inside out. And I thought, oh, God, well, thank God I'm wearing clean underwear because, you know, we've all heard that old adage. Forty-five minutes later, everybody got to see my clean underwear. Uh, My car was stopped on the curve in Highway 31 here in Ottawa in front of the Jewish cemetery. I was standing between my car and a police car, and I'm holding one end of some booster cables. I'm on the highway side because the snow banks were just so high that the car couldn't get off the road. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the uh, policeman was standing on the side closest to the bank. The next thing I heard was screeching metal and felt like crushing pain. The engine of my gorgeous Mustang tore right through my left leg. Uh, I was then flipping through the air, and I landed two lanes over on the highway. The policeman, well, he saved himself and dived into the snowbank. Wow. Yeah, he's a lot taller than me. I couldn't see over those uplifted hoods. Mm. But uh, it really felt odd that, like I was kind of put gently on the highway, and the hood on the fur coat went up while I was airborne, luckily cushioning the impact. I had thrown on some clogs, and one of them fell off, and I kept thinking, oh, my God, my toes must be frozen because I couldn't move them. Couldn't move anything, to be honest. My left leg was impossibly bent and twisted and up close to my shoulder, My right hand was sticking straight up in the air because I dislocated my shoulder from the front. So picture this, lying on the ground, hand way up in the air, 
seemed like I was lying there forever. You know, 1976, no cell phones. The guy that hit the car ran up to the nearest house and banged on the door to call for an ambulance. Suddenly, there's this woman holding my hand, of course, the hand where the shoulder's dislocated. And she's saying, you're going to be okay, dear. Well, I have to tell you, it hurt like hell. I said, lady, like, hold my fucking hand. <laughs> the passenger from my car goes, Jane, don't swear. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Really? Uh, anyway, there was a, a lot of damage. So in the next few months, they started giving me, like, the news in little bits between the surgeries. It was like a new horror every week, and it started with the loss of my child. Mm. One of my kneecaps was shattered. Both legs were broken. <coughs> Excuse me. My skull was fractured. My shoulder, as I said, was dislocated, and I had quite a number of internal issues. It was kind of like that, you know, remember that old Bits and Bites commercial? Mm-hmm. Every time, it's a whole new ballgame. Oh, man. Well, it was like that every week. So about, I think it was about the sixth week, I had been smelling this like really weird odor that was driving me crazy. And I had this huge hinged cast on my left leg. The nurses would come in and they'd open this hinged piece, but they wouldn't let me see. So week six, I decided to hell with this. I was going to check it out. I opened the hinge and instead of seeing my leg, I just saw this big jagged hole. No. And my answer to pain, my answer to shock, my answer to everything seems to be spiking a fever, mm. which I did and didn't actually speak to anyone for about three days. See, back then, I had absolutely no self-confidence, and I believed the only two things I had going for me were my really long legs and my big blue eyes. Mm. Now, you have to realize I'm five foot two, so really long legs at five foot two is very different. Anyway, this activity and, and surgeries and bits and pieces kind of went on for months. And finally, after they did some skin grafting to the big hole in my leg, I went home. I uh, was suffering like really excruciating pain, not just in my legs, but my abdomen. And they decided they would start giving me cortisone shots every month. That went on for the next five and a half years. They knew cortisone did something, but they didn't really know what. So, Elaine, let me ask you just really quickly. So how long were you actually in the hospital for the, uh, you know, after the, after the horrific car accident? Four months. Four months, okay. Yeah. And then I was out for five weeks, and then I was back for three, and then I was out for three, and it kind of went like that for the next five years, in and mm. out, in and out. <clears throat> Excuse me. The big drawback from that cortisone was I started putting on weight. Now, having no self-confidence and feeling now so totally damaged, uh, you know, I now today I can say to you with confidence, I know I'm more than just my outside. It's not mm -hmm. only about how I look. But back then, I, I didn't know that. Now, it's not an all-bad story, because I remarried in 1980, and I had a son in 1982. But I was so disgusted with how I looked that I decided 
I was going to have my stomach stapled. I'd seen it on TV and checked into it. There was only one doctor in Ottawa. Sadly for me, he was being investigated for killing two patients. No. Yeah, it was experimental surgery in 1983. My whole family was against it, to every single one of them, probably including the dog. I booked the surgery anyway. I had it all set out. You know, I was ready. September 13th, 1983 was the day. And uh, unfortunately, we're never going to know what really happened because that doctor tried really hard to hide it. You know, he, uh, who knows, there was a slip, there was a cut, uh, I ended up with a gastric leak, and a huge cover-up. After six days, without telling us anything, they let me go home, and I lasted 17 hours. So wait a second, the whole time you were in the hospital, when you had this procedure done, you weren't feeling well, you were just feeling, but you figured, you know, it's probably because of the surgery. Well, yeah, and because I had this weird pain in my left like shoulder blade, which seemed really bizarre because that's not where they'd done anything. But because I had gone against the whole family, I thought I'd better tough it out and and just, you know, just do what I could and go home and get better. Mm -hmm. Uh, 17 hours, not a lot of time to get better. Uh, Went home with no pain medication. So had to call the hospital because I was feeding through a tube in my side. And the only way to get medication was to go to the hospital and have them provide it. Uh, When we got there, I spoke with the doctor, thought I was clear. They were giving me some medication. And the resident who had been in my surgery walked through the emergency. And the next thing we knew, all hell broke loose. They called in the x-ray technologist. And they told my husband within an hour that I had to have more surgery. That was September 20th. So you had gone home, and now you came back to the hospital. Thinking I was only going to be in emergency for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. I was just back to get a pain pill. Mm -hmm. And, like, my world crumbled because they weren't letting me leave. And all because you got your stomach stapled and something went horribly wrong. Oh, yeah. And still, at this point, we had no idea. So there was more surgery. And that week, I developed an abscess on my left lung. And then they had to put in a chest tube, and I had blood transfusions, and of course, more fever, my, my thing of choice. And then a week later, it's September 28th, it's my little girl's birthday. The doctor tells me I have to have more surgery or I'm going to be dead within 24 hours. And what did they want to do with that particular surgery? I had developed peritonitis, <gasps> and my entire abdomen was awash in infection because as it turns out when he'd gone in the second time he didn't take it apart he didn't examine it he just sort of took a cursory look Mm -hmm. and I guess was a little too afraid to take it apart in case something else went wrong and it did oh my god anyway uh, my family are the ones who signed for the surgery because I refused to Mm -hmm. and I awoke on the way to ICU after eight plus hours in surgery to find that they'd split my throat and they diverted my esophagus out my neck. Mm. Now, <laughs> you really need a visual for that because it's bizarre. He, I guess, thought that it was going to let the stomach heal because nothing could get to the stomach because my throat was slit. 
Um, my dad used to say, oh, my God, you know, I'm so hungry, my stomach thinks my throat is slit. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a hell of a hunger, because I was there for seven months. Oh, <gasps> wow. So after this botched yeah. job, you were in the hospital for seven months with your neck cut. And... Oh, no, no, I, I got out. I wasn't there for the whole seven months. Oh, okay. I was there for a few months. Okay. But... My neck was split open, and I was hooked up to all these drains that looked like grenades, mm-hmm. a bunch of tubes coming out of me that went to the wall. There were so many machines, they had to have some on the floor because there weren't enough hookups on the walls. But I did have one tube. He was in my right side, not even sure where he went. It was a pretty big tube, and he stayed so long, he went home with me. So mm-hmm. I called him Hugo because you go where I go. <laughs> um, <laughs> You, you kind of have to make light of it, or you just sit there in a puddle and cry. Oh, definitely. Which is not something I'm good at. <laughs> anyway, talking about the net, my throat being slit, you got to imagine this. So I have nothing by mouth. I've now gone September. It's October. We're heading into November. I've had absolutely nothing by mouth. I'm getting nutrition through what they call a J-tube in my left side. I actually had that tube for more than a year because I couldn't eat properly when they finally fixed it seven months later. But I was so damn thirsty. So some of the nurses on the ward snuck in late at night with popsicles, and they'd collect all the towels in the evening on the ward, and we'd bring them to my bedside, and we'd wrap them around my neck. It was really kind of gross because anything that went in my mouth leaked out my neck. Now... You don't think of it, but saliva can be really harsh. So it had eaten, like, big holes in my chest, and I was blistered and raw. Oh, my goodness. One of the nurses who was really smart, I guess she'd been in the um, stoma area, the colostomy section, for a while and knew that there was a lady there, a, a nurse who dealt with what they call stomas, and she showed me how to fit one of these stoma bags to my neck. So that's a colostomy bag that normally people wear when their intestines don't work. Mm. I had this big plastic bag hanging down from my neck, and at the bottom it had a a clip because you had to empty it. I'm not going to get too gross here, but I will tell you I wore that for almost seven months, and clear plastic is a real bitch to accessorize. I bet. <laughs> anyway, since then, okay, there there have been, you know, gazillions of tests and just too many hospital stays to even go through. Bottom line, uh, I'm in pain 24-7. Um, it's managed now, which is a lot better. But uh, the next 10 years or so, there were a number of rather interesting bonus prizes I got hep C for Christmas one year. I got diabetes the next. So I'm insulin dependent. Mm. So basically now, you think I still believe in Santa? (laughs) Amazing. Hell yeah. (laughs) I play the glad game every day. Pollyanna, when I was a kid, was my favorite movie. So I always look for something good, something funny in pretty much everything. And... I do allow myself to what I call wallow every so often. Mm-hmm. You just have to to get through. But this is only like a little piece of my story. 
Uh, I'm a generally happy person, and I look for joy all the time. Oh, you're such a bubbly person. I had (laughs) no idea that you were going through or had gone through all of this. Uh, You're a real trooper. Let me ask you, what happened to the doctor? Uh, Sadly, not very much. Uh, We went through court for six months. He was being investigated by the American Journal of Medicine because he in the tra- in the transcript records said he had basically um, l- used literary license in his data. Uh, he was not found guilty. He was. We found that everything was there was lots and lots of damage, and they found more than half a million in damages. But back then, we didn't have the option of a jury. And. Uh, well, I won't say too much more about that because. But he is not practicing still. He's gone. I'm well, assuming. Thank God for small mercies. Yes, it's only been three years, but um, he was actually arrested for road rage, and finally for, for road rage. Yep, yep, and and it was really kind of cool because he used this pointer that he'd been showing a laser pointer he'd been showing around in court for the whole five months we were there. And he dropped it in the guy's car, and it had his name on it. <laughs> so he went up to the guy, was pointing at the guy with, with his pointer, and because that had his name on it, that's how he got arrested for road yeah, rage. He, yeah, he, he was actually, he was more brutal with the guy, but, but that was how they ended up tracking him down. Only in Canada. So he doesn't get arrested for all the damage yeah. and pain he caused you, yeah. but he gets arrested for road rage. Yeah. Yeah, because see, he's a doctor. Right. I, I'm just, I'm Infallible. just. Yeah. Now, one thing that's really, really important to me, when I was 16, one of my best friends, Andrea, hanged herself on New Year's Eve. Oh. It really, it caused so much damage to those of us that were left behind, like the family, that our friend, all our friends. Every one of us blamed ourselves. You know, we we saw and felt and really lived the impact and guilt that her suicide left. That morning in 76 on Highway 31, I told you the accident happened in front of the Jewish cemetery. Mm -hmm. Actual fact, it happened right in front of Andrea's grave. No. And I believe during the accident, when I was thrown so high in the air, you know, when I hit the pavement, my Mm -hmm. head should have split like a melon. And instead... My fur hood cradled my head, and I was gently laid on that highway. So I'm really grateful that Andrea saved my life that day. And no matter how hard life gets, I choose to remember that. Andrea's life and Andrea's death was not in vain, because she taught me to keep on living. So I keep on getting up, you know, the old Fisher-Price, I think they were called Weebles. Mm-hmm. That weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> That's how I think of me. Uh, and laughter really is the best medicine. Uh, you know, I've got great friends, great family. Hey, I got you. Absolutely. And that's that's how we met. We met when I was uh, uh, teaching a comedy course in uh, in yeah. Ottawa. And that's what impressed me so much about Elaine because she's, uh, we're, we're chatting with Elaine Lindsay, by the way. She might have heard the name. She's a, a true social media guru with, uh, with Google Hangouts especially. 
But we met at this uh, at this comedy workshop, and Elaine was such a bubbly person when she just started talking to me. Uh, we got to know each other, and and her story. Uh, she uh, she was just telling me her story one day. And I was so blown away by it. I thought, how does this woman get out of bed every day? But you truly believe that you were here for a reason, and it's your friend Andrea that that kept you alive for that reason. I got to be honest, Elaine. I think that's the reason, too. I mean, you're such an inspiration for so many people around you. But on top of this, you do this wonderful thing with Google Hangout, and you have you have coached so many knobs like myself who are like, I don't know what button to press, but you're such a phenomenal person doing that. You're so kind, you're funny, you're patient, and I'm so glad that you've turned that into a career. Well, it's it's kind of awesome and something that I'd like your listeners to know that's really kind of incredible. You can decide to have a good life at any time. I never told my story to anyone until 2013. That's from 1976 on. And I didn't realize, not even my kids really knew what happened. Mm. Because I was so wrapped in myself in the shame of being so heavy that I needed to have that kind of surgery that I didn't see that there could be some really useful lessons in my story. Well, it definitely, there are so many useful stories, but you're just a shining example for anyone. Like I say, when I hear somebody complaining, I say, you know what, just listen to (laughs) Elaine's story. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today, because I thought there are so many people that have everything and yet the smallest thing they complain about. And then there's true champions like yourself who are carrying the weight of the world, and yet you would never know it. Well, it would be really boring if I just put this out there all the time. Like, talk about buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's I think it's truly inspiring. But people don't know the other side of you, which is this bubbly personality, which is this amazing, like I said, this amazing Google Hangout guru. And we're going to save that for another conversation. But if you would like to contact Elaine uh, for any reason, whether you want to contact her to talk about... Uh, uh, you're having problems with your uh, social media tools, Google Hangout, or as a speaker. She's a phenomenal motivational speaker. I know that uh, Michelle Nere uh, has had you there at Mo Mondays in uh, in Ottawa. But Elaine, tell folks how they can reach you. Well, you can reach me at elainelindsay.com. That's Lindsay, S-A-Y. Or you can go to Truel Social. That's T as in Thomas, R as in Richard, O-O-L social.com. Elaine, thank you so much for joining me today. And I want you to continue telling your story, because it really is a beacon for so many people out there who think that they've been handed bad cards, why go on and you're, you know, you're a perfect example of there's got to be a reason behind this. Well, I thank you so much for for um, thinking of me that way. And giving me this platform to talk about it. And I just want to say to everybody, you know what? Life throws you curveballs all the time. You can choose to get hit by them or you can choose to try and catch them. It's a home run with Elaine Lindsay. (laughs) Elaine, thanks again. Thank you, Judy.